Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. I'm excited today uh, to talk to you about a, a brand spanking new message, something that it's a, it's a different way of uh, looking at Easter. I wanted to do some encouragement. Uh, in this, and I've entitled Easter 2020, Jesus is still the Waymaker. It isn't Christ the Waymaker. I had hoped that we could actually play a video of the song Waymaker, uh, but according uh, to uh, uh, Google, that would be a problem because of licensure and that sort of thing, and so we couldn't play it. Uh, but you know the song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, right? Everybody knows how that operates. I'm excited and grateful uh, that we can. Uh, find the Lord and that he is able to be the way maker uh, and the miracle worker to us. Uh, he does so much and I'm grateful for that. And so if you have your Bibles today, I want to take a look at, at a couple of things. I want to start in Exodus chapter 13. Uh, so if you'll scroll over to that, Exodus 13 and go down to verse 21. I'm going to take a look, actually verse 20, but 21 and 22 are the main ones. So verse 20 of Exodus 13 and then uh, turn in the New Testament to John chapter 14, and we'll look at the first 14 verses there. So Exodus 13, uh, starting at verse 20, you'll find that this is the time when Jesus, uh, through God the Father, has led the people out of Egypt. And so they are being pursued by Pharaoh now, and they're going to get ready to cross the Red Sea here pretty quickly. And what has happened is that they're, they're fearful, they're afraid, because they know that something has taken place. And so as they're being pursued, uh, when fear sets in, they don't know what to do. And so God has gotten them out of Egypt, but now they're afraid that He's just going to let them die uh, in the desert. Well, God has no intention of allowing that to happen. And so we pick up in verse 20, it says, After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. But here's the key. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Didn't God prove to them that He would be with them? Day or night, there He was. And then we'll find... In uh, John chapter 14, the first 14 verses, turn back over there, and let's take a look at what Jesus has to say. I typically use this particular scripture uh, in, in funeral messages, believe it or not, because I think it's very fitting, but it doesn't have to be set up specifically for that, because Jesus is telling all of us He has prepared a place for us, that He has a way, and that we should know what it is, okay? Look at this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
Were it not so, I would have told you. I would have told you because I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And what will I do? I will take you back to be with me so that you can be with me where I am. You know, he says, the way to the place where I am going. And notice this. Thomas said to him, and I think sometimes we're Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. There's the key. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. Now look at this. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. In other words, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. And isn't the Father living in us through the Spirit of Christ? So we know the Father as well as the Son. He said, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you in, in the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. And so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask for me anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, I find that not only interesting, but rather encouraging today, because there are several things, friends, that we struggle with on a daily basis. There are things that we wonder about, don't know about, and things that get to us as humans. And let's face it, life isn't always hunky-dory. We wish it was. It is not. And I have noticed with this pandemic that's happening that people deal with it in different ways. They respond to it very differently. There's one group over here that says, well, you know, it's kind of overkill, and I think we're overreacting, blah, 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 blah. And perhaps they're right. And then there's a group over here that says, you know what? This is terrible. This is serious. And we had better sequester one another, and we better stay away from one another. And, oh, my gosh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse, and, blah, blah, and, and maybe it is. And you know what? Perhaps they're right. The fact of the matter is, my best guess is, it's somewhere in the middle. Now, I don't like the middle of the road very much because sometimes it causes us not to take a stand on either thing. But in this case, I think the middle of the road is probably a better spot. I think it's probably being a little bit overkill in some areas and some other areas it's not, you know, because it's terrible. But it could get that way if it spreads, you see. So I understand why we're doing what we're doing. And whether you think the sky is falling or life should go on like normal, well, that's your response to it. And yet, my friends, regardless of where your stance is, Christ has still made a way. This is what we have to understand. Christ has made a way. In fact, several months ago, we were worshiping here at FLCC, and our worship leader picked Waymaker as one of our worship songs that day. And I just love that song anyway. And it has uh, one of those melodies that just sort of sticks with you, you know? You just got to keep singing it over and over in your mind and in your heart. And sometimes it comes out loud, you know. And so that was happening to me. 
But more than that, as I worshiped, I, I really allowed the chorus to resonate with my spirit. And I think that's the key, allowing the words to really move on you, to, to identify with them. And it's the same even today. Uh, some people are drawn to the new choruses and the new uh, hip-hop Christian songs that we have on the radio. And some folks are still in, in tune with, with the old hymns and doing that, you know, and some people are a mixture. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is the words of what you're listening to resonates with your heart and your spirit. And it doesn't matter how you worship the Lord so long as you do it. That's the key. You know, so, uh, your preference doesn't really matter. So I'm grateful for the fact that we can just worship. And that's how I was feeling. And in the days that followed, I found myself singing that chorus over and over and over, even during my prayer time right here in the sanctuary. And I typically go over here, you know, in the mornings where the sun is coming through. Uh, it's not always that way, but a lot of times it is. And I'll sit there and the Lord will just speak to me. And I find myself usually between the pew and the altar. You know what I mean? And then back and forth. Some days it's a little longer. Some days it's a little shorter. But the fact is, I'm worshiping and spending time with him. And that's the key, you know. And that was happening. And I typically do that every day. And I found myself being reminded that Jesus is and always will be the way maker. Does my situation matter? No. It doesn't matter how minor it is or how, how terrible it is. He is the way maker. It doesn't matter if you and I agree on the situation, whether it's this pandemic or something else. He is still the constant. He's still the way maker for all of us, regardless, you see. And so you have to remember that he is and always will be the way maker. And then I asked myself what that actually meant and if I truly believed it. I, I think we have to really ask ourselves, do you really believe that? Because when difficult times come, maybe way maker is not going to come to your mind. It should, perhaps, perhaps it isn't. And so that's what I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand. Regardless of what's going through your head, regardless of what you're going through, God is the way maker. And I hope that that comes to your mind when it happens. And to answer these questions of whether I really meant it, whether I really believed it, I went back to the chorus. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. What? My God. He is our God. He's your God. He's my God. He's everyone's God. He's the God of the universe, the God from the beginning, the God to the end, and everything in between, the Alpha and the Omega. He is. He always will be. He's always been, you see. My God. So regardless of whether you resonate with Waymaker or the Miracle Worker or the Promise Keeper or all of those, light in the darkness, whatever, He's still your God, and He's all of those things. Okay? That is who you are. My God, that is who you are. And, and as I was singing and humming this chorus to myself, God began to show me from my own experiences how all of this is so. How God has been all of those things and more to me in my life, you see. Wow. And not just for me, but for all of you, for everyone. And from that moment, I began to put together ways in Scripture where Jesus had made a way. And for me to believe it, I simply had to decide if I believed the Scripture or I didn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think all of us come to that crux sometimes. We're reading things, and we, we're reading it, and we see it, but then we're in this situation, we're like, but I don't know. I'm not sure. 
I'm struggling. And God knows that. And the enemy knows it too, you see. Again, this war. There's a tug of war between the two of them sometimes. Like I'm being pulled, right? I, I, I see the Lord and I want to go that direction, but the enemy's powerful and he brings a compelling argument. At least in my mind he does. And I suspect we're all susceptible to that exact same argument. And then I thought, well, is this real? God, is, is, what, is what you're saying, is it real? Can I bank on it? Can I somehow just know it? I want to. Are the stories, are the, are the events that happen that you talk about, are they true? Did they really happen? Are they, are they relevant today? I mean, our times are different. We struggle with a whole different set of things. Whole different sets of problems. And God said, no, 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 you don't. <laughs> the times are different, but the problems of humanity are the same. Why? Because the devil is still the devil. <laughs> okay? And I'm still God. So it may look different, but it's the same. It's the same battle that's being been fought for eons. And I thought, it's a simple decision. Because God said to me, it's a simple decision. Either you believe or you don't. And I decided that I did indeed believe. You know why? Because I see the changes that God made in my life. I see where His hand has moved. And just because I don't always see His hand doesn't mean it's not moving. He has showed me where He has moved, and that should be enough for me. But in my humanness, sometimes it isn't, you know. And then God began to show me how Christ is still the way, how He is still the way maker for us today. You see... Jesus has the power to make a way. What way? The way for us to get to heaven, for one. That's what he's talking about here. The way to get to heaven. Just like in the Old Testament, God never left them. Jesus said he would never leave us. He's always there. You may not see him, but that doesn't mean he's not there. He's made a way, and he has delivered millions of people over the years. And my friends... There are many times that we look at a situation we're in and we can't see the way out. Maybe for some of us, that's where we're at right now. That's what's going on. Maybe this pandemic is just one way. We're like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. You know, some people are glass half full. Some people are glass half empty. That's who we are. And some of us kind of flip-flop between the two <laughs> sometimes. But that's exactly what we're probably thinking. And I would simply remind us to remember that Jesus is still the way maker. Let me tell you how. First of all, number one, Christ made a way out of danger. He made a way out of danger. He parted the Red Sea for Moses in Exodus 14. You see, friends, they were all going to die if God did not intervene. To them, the gates of hell were right behind them. <laughs> right? They were right behind them. Here they came. Yeah, he let them go, but now he's pursuing them. You know, Pharaoh is in the Exodus. And so they're all complaining, so you dragged us all the way out here just to die anyway? We could have done that in Egypt. And probably they thought, help us to fight back, help us to have weapons, help us to do blah, blah, blah. And God said, nope, not going to do that. God didn't help them fight the Egyptians. He just made a way for them to escape. 
And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, sometimes God makes a way when there is no way, and oftentimes it's not the way we expect or hope. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? In our minds, we know how we want to take care of it. And God's like, no, I got a different way. I got a better way. In fact, it's my way. And you're like, no, 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 God, I, I, I want it to be my way. I want, no, no I, I want your help. I want you to do it, but I want it to be my way. Of course, I'm probably the only one in here that's ever done that. My suspicion is you've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. And sometimes we don't know we're doing it. See, Okay, God, but why is there a but there? There shouldn't be. God says, I'll handle it. And then we find that when the disciples in Christ were out on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up and Jesus was dog-tired, he was exhausted, there he is in the boat, he falls asleep. You know this is an amazing story. And, of course, the wind and the waves come, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And these guys are most, almost all fishermen, so they've been out there before, and a good fisherman knows it's time to get to shore. But they stayed out there longer than they should have, and Christ was asleep, and they just thought he'd take care of it. And then when the wind and the waves came up, well, he wasn't taking care of it because he's asleep. And so what happens? They start bailing. They start doing everything that a fisherman, you know, that a captain of a ship, that a sailor knows to do. And guess what? Sometimes the storms are so bad that whatever you do doesn't help. You're in trouble. You're in peril. Okay? And it doesn't matter how modern the boat is, neither, as we find out in modern things today. So we got a problem. And so they did everything they could do, and it was overtaking them, and they kept afloat as long as they could, and then when they're about to be overwhelmed and nothing else could be done, the whole time, there he is in the boat with them, and they don't say anything to him. He's right there, and they say nothing. And instead of waking him up or asking him, they sit there and look at him with contempt. Like, why don't you wake up and do something? Well, maybe if you would seek him. And as soon as he wakes up, they holler and scream, they say, Lord, don't you care if we perish? And Jesus wakes up and he looks at me and goes, what? You think that because I didn't move right away that I don't care? Had you sought me in the storm of life, perhaps I would have done something. But to think that I don't care simply because I didn't move when you wanted me to? And when you didn't seek me? Really? Now, he didn't put it quite so harshly as I just did it. But he's almost said that to me when I did the exact same thing in a different situation, you see. And so, and so he says, but so that you know, watch and peace be still and gone. Now, it isn't always like that with you and me, but it can be. They were going to die, you see, and there wasn't anything they could do about it. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know what? He makes a way for us to have peace in the midst of life's storms. Got to seek him. <laughs> there would be a starting point. Amen? Seek him. If you seek him, the Bible says you will what? Find him. He always cares. Don't let the enemy tell you that Christ doesn't care. And oftentimes, we've done all that can be done. And if God doesn't intervene, well, guess what? There's just nothing that can be done. I, I've talked to a gazillion people. It's happened in my life where there was nothing that could be done. Doctor said there's nothing that could be done. Uh, your tax accountant says there's nothing that can be done, right? Your financial advisor says nothing can be done. The president and the government and your senator says nothing can be done. And sometimes your pastor says nothing can be done. 
And God says, oh, really? With me, there is always a way. You may not like it. It may not be the outcome that you wanted, but there is always a way. And in the end, when all of this goes away, and it will, there's only one way anyhow, and that's right there. The way to heaven will always be there, even if the rest of this fades away, and it will. So rather than worrying about the way to anything else, let's worry about that one, because that's the one that counts. Amen? But when you're going through a difficulty of life, it's pretty hard to see the way to heaven because you're not thinking about that right then. And yet, God says, but that's the only one that really matters. So let's look at that one. Secondly, Jesus made a way out of prison. Did you notice in Genesis 39, we look at the story of Joseph, that he was falsely accused. Joseph didn't deserve to be sold into slavery. He's a little arrogant with his brothers. I get that, but it was between him and God, not him and his brothers. And his brothers took matters in their own hands. They were deceitful. They sold him into slavery and told their father he was dead. That's a terrible thing to do. That's your brother. But they did it. And so he gets sold into slavery, and then, you know, all these other things happen to him. And wherever he goes, he becomes a person that is given lots of authority, who's trusted. And as soon as he gets that position, somebody turns on him because they're jealous. Okay? A variety of things happened to him. He didn't deserve any of that, but it happened. He was falsely accused. He didn't do anything, but he's falsely accused. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, this is going to happen to us. Not maybe. It will. I've been falsely accused of things. Oftentimes, maybe it's not even an accusation. When, when you don't know the full story or the full situation, even in church it happens. Well, I wonder why the pastor didn't do this. I wonder why the pastor didn't do that. I wonder why so-and-so didn't act this way or so-and-so didn't do this. Well, you don't know because you don't know the situation. But automatically, rather than accuse this way, you in your mind think, well, they should have done this, and that was terrible, and that was wrong, and, and they should have done Really? We've all done it. It goes the other way, too, you know? Let me give you an example. We had communion in the parking lot. Some of you didn't come. Do you think my mind didn't wonder as to why you didn't? I wasn't in your situation. I wasn't in your family. I don't know why you didn't go. Maybe you were afraid. Maybe you had something else you had to do. I don't know. But in my mind, you should have been here. Right? At the same time, is it my place to judge you why you didn't? The answer is no, it is not. Okay? And in a way, I'm falsely accusing you of doing something or not doing something you should have done, that you could have done. And you know what, friends? There's a variety of things. And let me tell you, the door swings the other way. When I don't call you or I don't do this or I don't act a certain way, you're probably thinking, well, he had time. Why didn't he? Probably not. There's a reason. Sometimes I don't even know. Right? But you see how the mind works? You see what we do? This is, this is how we operate. And this isn't about me. It isn't about you. I'm talking about Joseph here. But here's what I know. This is going to happen to us, and Christ may be the only one who knows we're innocent. How's about that now? He may be the only one that knows that you're innocent, that your mind, you didn't know somebody needed you, or you didn't, you, they didn't know. These, see, he's the only one. And Satan accuses us all the time. To him, by the way. And you know what I found? It's mostly false. He accuses us falsely. Now, he can't, he, he, he can accuse us to one another. And we'll start to believe it. 
But when he accuses us to God, God does not believe it. And even if it's true, God says, oh, yes, but I, I died for that. Now, isn't that something? Wow. We don't have a greater advocate anywhere in the universe than him. Paul and Silas were in prison just for being Christians in Acts 16. Just for being Christians. Now, you and I haven't seen that yet. But I think the day's coming. You can see that happening in the world even now. Christ told us that we will be persecuted for our Christian faith. And Paul tells us the exact same thing. Jesus tells us in Revelation to persevere and to stand and to resist. Get this, even to the point of death or death itself. And I'm not sure any of us are willing to do that. Oh, we might stand up and say, oh, wait a minute. But when we're faced with someone killing us over our faith, well, we might have a change of heart, at least temporarily. And then again, maybe we wouldn't. I'd like to think I could stand. I'll bet you you'd like to think you could stand. I, I, I hope that all of us would stand, friends. But Jesus says that if you stand, if you persevere, I will give you eternal life as your victor's crown. He calls that the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. Your crown will be eternal life. I want that. And I hope that when the time comes, and I believe it will, I will stand. Do you? Did you know that Jesus can set you free from the bondage of sin? I know that because he's done it for me. You didn't know me before I was a Christian. None of you did. Some of you who are watching today, you might have. Let me tell you, friends, there's a massive transformation that takes place. I know it. You know it. Because it's happened in you. You see, friends, what keeps us in prison is our sinfulness. Our sinfulness holds us in the bondage. It holds us in prison. It keeps us in a place where we feel like we can't get out. You know you should, and sometimes you want to. But for whatever reason, you just can't. It's like, you're, it's like a magnet holding you there. And as soon as you start to break away, it starts to pull you back. It's almost like quicksand. Anybody ever been there before? And you think, I can't live without it. I enjoy it too much. And I, I know you, you don't like it when I use uh, videos and movies for my illustrations, but I watched The Waterboy. I imagine part of you have. And The Waterboy tells his mother, but Mama, I plays foosball because I enjoys it. You know what, friends? There's sometimes that we do things that we enjoy. We know we shouldn't, and we know others would, would shame us for it, but there are certain sinful activities that we do and participate in because we enjoy it. Let's just say it the way it is. We could quit, but we won't. And sometimes it's true that we can't. But Christ said, I can set you free. In fact, he can absolve you of your sin. He can commute the sentence through His grace, and He can free you from prison, and the prison of sinfulness. But here's the thing, going back to the boat, if you don't seek Him, and you don't receive it, then the prison is going to be eternal eventually. You understand that? It's temporary now, 
but it's going to be prison for good. It's almost like you keep trying to get parole and it keeps getting denied and eventually it's a final denial. Some people in, in the secular world, when they're sentenced, it's without possibility of parole. They're there for good. That's exactly what happens. And I wonder where in the life of a person where God's been working on you, working on you, working on you, and, and, and the Satan's got such a hold on you that it's gone past the point of no return. You could get out, but your heart won't allow you. You won't seek it. You won't try. And so Satan's got you, and he knows it. It's no possibility of parole. You're there to stay. You see, friends, the prison of sin is different than a physical prison. But it's going to be the same eventually when the two become synonymous, and they will one day. There's never any way out of this one without Jesus Christ, and He is the one that made the way for you to get out of prison. Thirdly, Jesus made a way out of death. And I, and I go back and I look at the three Hebrews in captivity in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For some of you who are less, less formless, uh, Rakshak and Benny. You know, these guys are pretty amazing. We don't hear a lot about them. Daniel gets, you know, most of the print. He gets the ink. But the fact of the matter is, these guys were amazing. They were told, do not worship that God. And they were, they were you know, the king was duped into writing a law, you know, to keep the Hebrews from doing this. And they thought that God's law was higher. And I wonder today, this is a sermon for another day, but I wonder if sometimes we look at what we're told to do by the government and we succumb to it and God's law is higher. The day's going to come when that's going to happen, I promise. I don't think it's here yet, but it will. Okay? So you remember something. You may have to part with your government one day. I'm not telling you to have a rebellion. I'm simply saying the day may come. Whether it's the United States or another government, who knows? But God's law is higher, always has been. And these guys said, we are going to worship no matter what. And the king was so angry, they threw him into a fiery furnace. In fact, he was so angry that he had him heated up seven times more. Listen, the first degree would have been plenty to kill them all. Okay? But he said, heated up seven times. And when they're in there, okay, they don't die. In fact, there's no scorching. They don't even smell like soot when he brings them out. But as he's looking at them, he said, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Well, there's four in there, and one of them looks like a son of man. Yeah, because it was. <laughs> it was the son of man. It was Jesus prior to his birth. It was Jesus incarnate before, and he was with them because he made a way, you see, and he always will. Then you got Daniel in the lion's den. I'm thinking, wow, you know, uh, king throws Daniel in for the same reasons, Right? And you would think that these lions would say, huh, lunch, and then we'll save some for a little bit later for a snack. Well, guess what? Didn't touch Daniel. And when the king realized he had been duped, okay, and he went to the lion's den and he got him out, and he saw, and Daniel told him why it hadn't happened. His God had protected him. He went and got all those guys that accused Daniel and their families and threw them all in, in with the lions, and guess what happened? The lions jumped all over them. See, it isn't that the lions weren't hungry. God closed their mouths. But when God's protection wasn't on people thrown in there, the lions tore them apart, the Bible says. Daniel was untouched, but they were devoured. And that's exactly what happens because those lions, to me, represent Satan. You see. 
Jesus, my friends, made a way out of death, and he did it for you and me. Ephesians 2, 1 to 2, Paul says, As for you, you were, get this, dead in your transgressions and your sins. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, Satan is prevalent, and he's at work, and he's the ruler. But God can break the bondage in the prison that he has on you. Now, true, this is the way he's talking about our spiritual death, and maybe it isn't the same as being saved from physical death, but isn't this one better? Isn't spiritual life better? Now, I know that many people would prefer today to be saved from physical death because we fear that more, but we shouldn't. We should fear eternal death more than physical death because the true Christian knows that eternal death is much worse than physical death because that one's forever. Amen. Fourthly, Jesus made a way out of hopeless situations. And this might be really the big one for some of us because it's the one we deal with the most. And I look back at Genesis 5 all the way through Genesis 10 and I think of Noah and his family. And I realize that the ark that's written about is a, is a type of salvation. And I, and I say that because I considered what Noah had to go through here. The ridicule, the sneers, all of that. And guess what? The people were right. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. The people that made fun of Noah were right. I mean, who in the world wouldn't make fun of somebody who was building a massive yacht or a boat or a cruise vessel in the middle of the desert? doesn't make any sense at all. You would laugh at somebody, question somebody. You would probably think that person's cuckoo. They've got a screw loose. Don't look now, but that person's cheese has slipped off their cracker. You would think it. I would think it because it's true. Use any cliche you want. Okay? But what happens when God tells you to do it? Eventually, those sneers and those questions and that ridicule would get to you, and you'd begin to question if God really told you or not. That would be any of us. And the enemy's like, keep sending them, keep sending them, telling all his demons, keep sending them, keep sending them every day. Get on them. We'll get them to deter us somehow. But Noah never did. It was completely insane to build a huge boat in the middle of the desert, and it would be today as well. And then it started to rain, and the people still made fun of him. It was just rain after all. But then the rain continued to come. And then the rain wouldn't stop. And then puddles started. And then ponds. And then lakes. And then torrents. And then before you know it, it was getting kind of scary out here. And then all of a sudden there was nothing else to do. And they went and banged on the door. Let us in. Oh, how their demeanor changed. Friends, that's exactly what's going to happen if we follow the way of Satan. You're going to want to get in, and God's going to say, you had your chance. I can't do it. My law doesn't allow it. I want to, but I can't. And I know that there are some people out there that say God would never do that. That can't happen. Well, I, I have news for you. The Bible says it will. The ark was salvation for Noah and his family. Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The King James says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I find that very significant. Because this is exactly what Christ offers those of us who live righteously and by his standards. I want to say that again. 
God offers favor and grace to those of us who live righteously and by his standards, regardless of what the rest of society thinks, regardless of what the rest of society believes, regardless of what society says, regardless of what society practices. And we're in this quandary right now, you know, because homosexuality, homosexual marriage and abortion, and that's just a couple things, okay? Society says that if we don't accept these things, then we're bigots and we're haters, you know. Now, I didn't come here today to talk to you about that, but I want you to understand that it goes directly and exactly with what we're talking about. You see, friends, the fact is we aren't loving or compassionate is what they're going to say. You're a bigot, you're a hater, you're not loving, you're not compassionate, and that's exactly what God is. Yes, he is, but he's also the great judge too. Because God tells us just the opposite. God says for true compassion, we would call the sin out so that God could save those from the prison of their sin. That's what God says. If you really had love, you really had compassion, instead of agreeing with this lifestyle that God finds detestable, you would say, stop it, get away from it, ask the Lord for forgiveness, ask the Lord for commutation, ask the Lord to help you. Because that would show compassion, that's standing, and that's when the carnal life comes in, you see. That's what God says. Because if we don't, their temporary prison in the sinfulness is going to be permanent in eternity. That, my friends, is what we're talking about. No, true love and compassion would mean standing against Satan and his approval of these detestable sins against the Lord. True love and compassion would mean doing everything we can to get people to turn from these wicked things and receive salvation. And remember, that same crown of life that we just talked about. Because eternal life is the crown He wants to give us. I'm reminded this morning of Elisha and his servant in, in 2 Kings. Elisha tells his servant that those that are for us are greater than those that are against us. You see, friends, the servant could only see the armies of earth that were oppressing and threatening the prophet and his servant. But God had heaven's army there. The servant just couldn't see it. And I wonder how often the armies of heaven have protected you and me from the danger around us and we just couldn't see it. There have been times that I've been going through difficulty, times that I've been going through problems, and I've prayed and I've asked the Lord to help, and it seems like He's not hearing me or He's not there or because things aren't changing, they're not moving, they're not, you know, I'm not getting out, not the way or in the timing that I wanted it to, or, or maybe I don't see anything happening at all. And so I begin to question, I begin to wonder, what's God doing? And I, I go back to those guys in the boat and I say, God, don't you even care? You see, it's a vicious circle. Then God says, what do you mean do I not care? Do you not see the army that I have protecting you? And to be honest, my answer has to be no. <laughs> and I wonder if my faith were a little stronger, a little greater, that I would see them. And maybe I don't have to see them. Maybe I should just know and believe that they're there. <laughs> How about that? I heard a story once of a missionary who was going to be killed along his family. Uh, they were ministering to uh, some people, so some tribes in uh, South America. And it was a, an area where it was very desolate, and uh, I, think, I think it was in Brazil, I'm not sure. 
But there are tribes there that uh, obviously you didn't go anywhere near them. They were uh, cannibalistic at times, did detestable things to people, uh, and so obviously not Christians. And this, this missionary and his family, everybody told him, you're crazy to go there. They're going to kill you. They're probably going to eat you. And he said, but God told me to go. And people said, God wouldn't have told you to do that. Really? And so he said, no, God did. And so he went. Took his wife and his little daughter, who is a teenager, I think. And they go to minister to these people. And sure enough, one night, the tribe came to take them in order to do detestable things to them, including mutilating their bodies, eating their hearts, and drinking the blood of their daughter because they thought that it brought them youth to drink a child's blood. And for whatever reason, that man and his wife and his child huddled together all by themselves, and they prayed and said, Lord, we've been obedient. We're trusting you. Whatever happens, happens. But we know that you have our backs. Even if you allow us to go through this, we still serve you. We still believe in you, and we know that we're going to get the crown of life. We're here because you told us to come. We're being obedient. And it doesn't matter what other people told us to do. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, as quickly as they came, the tribe left. Later on, weeks or maybe months later, the missionary and the tribal chief became friends. And the chief got saved and he became a Christian. And when the missionary one day asked him why that they had left that night, the tribal chief told him later that, well, because that huge army you had around your camp. And the missionary just said, oh, that. <laughs> the chief said, we were afraid of that army. There were so many of them. And they were of a, a makeup that I'd never seen before. And I didn't think I could beat them. And I said, God, we don't want to mess with this. And away we went. I guess God is still in the business of using heaven's army when necessary, isn't he? Brings me to my last point, friends. We were lost and doomed forever. John tells us in 1 John 5, 1 to 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. That means standing firm when people want you to accept things that are wrong. I don't care the reasons. They're wrong. God says they are. And if they are, then you stand with God or not. You either stand with God or you stand with Satan. It's up to you, but that's how it is. Oh, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. It's exactly that simple. And I'm just being honest, okay? Because God says so. So here, here's the rest of this thing. Keep his commands. And his commands, friends, are not burdensome. Some people would say that allowing this type of behavior is too burdensome because people can't help it. Wrong answer. God says, if I say it's wrong, you can help it. You can get away from it. You can stop it. I said so. Because anything I've told you to do isn't burdensome. The way and the ability is already made for you. It's up to you. And listen to this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So no matter what Satan throws at you, no matter what society throws at you, 
it's already been overcome because God said so. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Christ can and will deliver you from whatever it is. If God says it's wrong, then it is, it is defeated already. If God says don't do it, you have a way. If God says I can get you out, he can and he will. Just believe and stand firm. Friends, being doomed and lost forever is about as hopeless of a situation as there is and ever will be. That's just the way it is. And yet, here's Jesus who makes a way. Without him, our situation would have remained hopeless. But praise the Lord, there is a way out after all. It's that's this missionary. He's a believer. Sometimes God has to put us in those situations that seem hopeless, and then he gets us out for us to believe it. Amen? Because if things are always hunky-dory all the time, then we're not tested, then we don't know. That this is how our faith builds, where we see God get us out again and again and again. Over and over and over, and God wants to get us out of this pandemic. He wants to get you out of whatever situation you're in, and it doesn't matter what has happened. God made a way. And in the end, heaven is the one that counts anyway. Friends, at my previous church, I worked with a couple of funeral directors who became good friends of mine. One was a Christian, the other was not. The non-Christian once told me when I was talking to him about spiritual death, he said, well, here's the deal, man. Death is death, and it comes to all. And I told him the physical death that he's around every day might indeed come to many. But eternal death was inescapable. That's what I told him. But if he'd only believed, it was escapable. He could get out. He told me he wanted so badly to believe it. But being around death all the time, he just never saw anybody get up off the table or out of the casket. And I said, because you're looking at things in the physical sense. And by the way, people have gotten up from that. <laughs> okay? They have. The Bible says so. But this one isn't the one that's important. One day, everybody who believes in him is going to get up from that. Everybody's going to get up from that. And they're going to live eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I told him to stop focusing on the physical side of things. And I, friends, I don't know if he ever accepted Christ. I don't know if he ever believed. Uh, maybe I should call him one day and say, hey, Dave, believer yet? But this Easter, you and I both know that there is indeed a way out of eternal death. And Jesus is the one who made the way out. Why? Because he has risen indeed. You see, friends, Christ made a way for you too. And I want to ask you, will you be like Noah and accept it and obey him? Even when Christ tells you to build a luxury yacht in the middle of the desert? Because Terre Haute seems like a desert sometimes. Anywhere you are, it can seem like a desert sometimes. Will you stand firm when others won't? Will you stand when even other Christians tell you, well, we just got to accept it. God says, if you do, I will get you out of that prison. I will give you eternal life. And not only that, I'll give you the crown that comes with it. You see, he will help you out of danger. He will get you out of prison. He will show you the way out of death, and he will help you out of hopeless situations when there just is no other way. Friends, this is Easter morning. 
And even still, the devil has no hold on Christ. It couldn't hold him in the grave that first Easter, and it can't hold him in the grave today because he's not there. And it can't hold you in anything. He can't hold you in prison or in anything because God has said, I belong to you. I'm in you. You're mine. Because I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. And if you're in me, you're in the Father. Friends, that's where you are today. He can't hold you into this garbage. And aren't you grateful for that? Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are today. We're grateful and thankful that you love us. We're grateful and thankful that on that first Easter morning, you broke every bond there is. Not just the ropes that held the stone in place, not just the seal that mankind in his royalty put on there. You broke those seals and rolled that stone, and then you broke with it when you came out of death the bondage of prison, the bondage of death, and anything that holds us in the grave. We don't have to stay in sin. We don't have to stay in a, st in, a, in, a, in a status of death. We can come out and be alive. God, I'm grateful for that today. Help us to take that truth everywhere to every person. Help us to stand firm. And when we're put into prison, to be patient and wait for you to break us out because you promised that you would. God, we're grateful and thankful. We pray for and wish for the crown of life to come to us sooner rather than later. So wherever we are, in this Easter morning, whether we're optimistic over this pandemic or the sky is falling over this pandemic or somewhere in between. Help us, Father, to know that regardless of what happens, we still belong to you. You're still on the throne. And in that, we have a way out. We always have. We're grateful and thankful. We're grateful for this Easter morning. We pray the blessing of Christ upon each one that's listening today. And we pray, Father, that in all things, we would honor you today and every day beyond because you're worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Be healthy, safe, and spiritual as always. See you next time.